Welcome to the Writer Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. Buenos dias. And Larry Correa. If at first you don't succeed, call it an airstrike. Today's episode, Writing for Video Games. Alright everybody, welcome to the Writer Dojo again. Uh, in, our, in our ongoing quest to make sure we get all of the, the cool people at LibertyCon. We're here again. Uh, we're, we're, never, we're not quite sure how, in what order, these are going to um, air in. But today we wanted to bring you something really different and really, really cool. Um, you all know, by now, how both Larry and I adore video games. Um, for us, this is really... Video games are really mine and Larry's way, in, in different ways actually, but it, it's our way to decompress, to refill the buckets, um, you know, sharp, sharpen the saws, we've said before, Larry. Larry, you're you're more of a, um, like a, a Twitch shooter. I'm more, yeah, first PvP person guy. shooter, PvP, a lot of World of Tanks for a lot of years. World of Tanks, Call of Duty. Last, last couple of years has been a lot of Call of Duty. Yeah. And... You're more of a role-playing game, mm-hmm. uh, RPG adventure game kind of. Yeah, game. I'm. I'm your your typical uh, Final Fantasy nerd. Um, Final. I mean, Final Fantasy VI is my favorite game of all time. Uh, but you know, I am also a big adventure guy. You know, Uncharted, uh, Ghost of Tsushima, which you and I have talked okay, about, no, freaking ad nauseum. Yeah, yeah. uh, that game is awesome. Um, you know, I, I we love those sorts of games. Right now, today we've got a, a great guest with us, Brian. Brian Urbanic. Good morning, Brian. How about you introduce yourself and, and tell people what you do, who you are, and, uh, and 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 I think this will shed light on why Larry and I are so excited to have you <laughs> with us today. And and hey, thank you so much for making time with us. We it, it's kind of crazy. At the con and, and schedules are wonky, so thank you so much for making the time to talk with us today. Uh, absolutely, my pleasure. Fan of the show. Uh, my name is Brian. I've been working in the video games industry for about thirty years. My title is a systems designer, and that means, in general, I'm responsible for the design aspect of a video game that deals with motivations, um, uh, a- actions a players can take, anything involving a number ever or math. That's all kind of my world. <laughs> it, it's interesting to me. Uh, you and I were chatting a little bit. I think it was yesterday, and you have a presentation today at, at, at Liberty Con. For I mean, none of you can take advantage of that when we're recording right now. But you were showing me a little bit of your presentation, and one of the screenshots you showed me was of the game Elden Ring. Yep. Um, you're a fan. I'm a fan. Uh, that game. That game is. It's really cool to play. It's difficult, but it, in, a, in a fun, good way. And it's of the opening scene where you walk out kind of after the, the tutorial and you, and you get killed. Um, it's, you walk out, and it's just this nice sweeping vista. Okay, But then you showed me your next slide, and it's just, okay, this is how storytelling is done in a video game. There's... Okay, you see this over there. This is where you're gonna go. Oh, over there. That's where you're hopefully gonna go if you don't, you know, rage quit the game at some point. Uh, this is your immediate place. This is this, and and in, in a lot of games, I think you said something to me to the effect of, you guys as writers have paragraphs to explain and show what a 
kind of like what an environment is supposed to be and where you're going to be going with your story. For in video games, there's a lot of visual and contextual storytelling. Yeah, a, a good analogy to start with is the way a director needs to think about structuring a shot, right? Where they have an infinite number of choices of things which are probably more implied than said in an, a prose structure, right? We have to care about the lighting, we have to care about where the sight lines are and where the eye is being traded by all the different um, shape of the geography. The trick is, in any kind of open-worldish game, like Call of Duty or like especially Elden Ring, there's an extra layer where everywhere you can see, you need to be able to, you can either go, or you have to have a good reason why you can't go there. And so all of that needs to be thought about in a very careful, structured way. So the opening of Elden Ring is, I, I pull it up because that game, I could talk for hours about its flaws or days about its virtues. Mm -hmm. I'm right there um, with you. I'm right there with you. Uh, every single element in that first moment when you step into the limb grave is bloody art, right? The way the sight lines all point you directly towards your destination, the way you get to see the knight on the horseback who's your first challenge, and you get to understand where he is and appreciate his position. You can see your medium destination of the castle on the hill. You can see your far destination of the Elden Tree far in the background, and the sight lines of the way place things are located in the scene and the way the geography points you at different spots in the visual are it's just masterful. And it's a thing that, that when you break it down and show it to someone the way that my slide does, which actually calls out all these lines and such forth, um, it reveals that this is intentional. This is deliberate. This is a structured, crafted thing. Mm. It's brilliant because it's like, honestly, it's the same way when you're, you're telling a, 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 a traditional prose novel story. You want to draw out the same stuff, only an entirely different tool set. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, you can see why, like, I think you guys can see why Larry and I were so stoked to have Brian on the show today, because it, it, it's, it is really interesting. Larry and I harp on storytelling in games a lot. Yeah, actually, because even though this is a show about, you know, just writing in general, but we're novelists, but we do bring up a lot of video game analogies on this show or examples of good storytelling or bad storytelling from video games. Well, and, and, and I think the mistake that, that a lot of us make is that we say, you know, we just look at the way, um, you know, lines of dialogue are set in a show or in a, in a video game. But, you know, when you listen to how Brian talks about it and how you, frankly, eloquently break it down, you understand that, oh man, there is so much more to storytelling within a video game. Now, part of this is because we want you guys to understand that uh, the only path, like the path, the paths forward, there's never just one path. If you want to start talking about and going into storytelling in the video games industry, my goodness, there are so many options. What, what, kind, of, what kind of avenues are there available for, for people who want to be telling stories within the video games industry? Um, so obviously being a writer because uh, many games have dialogue or written text and that is the exclusive domain of people who have the title writer or narrative designer mm -hmm. but I, I like to believe that in my own way I am something of a storyteller too though in a different medium right my storytelling is making the combat system 
feel like the kind of game you're playing. So in Call of Duty, combat is extremely fast, extremely crisp, extremely lethal. Whereas in a superhero game, the combat would always be something that's more drawn out over a battle. Whereas the stakes raise, your ability to deliver efficacy in the world raises. Right? In a cop drama, we're always going to have a thing where you don't die quickly, but you get wounded and your performance suffers to create a rising tension spiral. Similarly, if you're doing a zombie horror game. Um, in an epic fantasy game, we're going to take a different arc, right? So we could try to feel like Lord of the Rings. And so, in my way, I think those mechanics are storytelling. And then there's the sound design, right? Like everything that is, a that is storytelling collaborative in a movie applies to video games too, right? The lighting, the uh, level. Oh, God. Uh, in Warzone, our maps, we put a lot of effort into trying to have implied stories in the structure and visuals of the map and just the way they feel when you move through them is supposed to be evocative of different geogra geographic regions of different types of conflict etc and we all think of that as a level of storytelling that's actually really interesting because you know i play a lot of call of duty and i played a lot of warzone and i played a lot of dmz played a lot of plunder and i know almazra like the back of my freaking hand and before <laughs> this i knew verdansk like the I'm the driver of my team, right? Okay. Because I'm gonna want the sense of direction, <laughs> and uh, and it's funny too because we're at this point, you know, because like tell the story, it's like we're like it's uh, it's North Construction Tower, South Construction Tower, you know, we know exactly we're big building, Channel Seven. <laughs> I mean, we're we're just communicating. To each other. We know this world, like like, and it is it is, and there's little like little nuggets in there that mm -hmm. you guys do put, and like the the note system where there's like different locked rooms and there's notes mm -hmm. and like the, the mm -hmm. events that happened. And for us nerdy guys that love that stuff, you know, we collect the notes and it's like, oh man, something tragic happened here. It it is really interesting because that's a that's a that's a thing that we don't get to do in novels as much because we don't get to like spell that stuff out because that just takes space in words. Right. And this is contextual and it's organic. Yes. You know, and so I think you guys did a great job on that. <laughs> Thank you. I'm curious as to your own. Um, I, I know you work in kind of the you work in the Call of Duty you work with Call of Duty you work in, as Call of Duty um, that's what you do is is your job and stuff what but what are your what are your your actual video game preferences I'm curious uh, if a game was made by more than four people I'm probably not interested um, I <laughs> I spend a lot of time deep diving into the indie space um, so Call of Duty is magnificent for the production values it brings, but because it is, I mean, this is all public numbers, uh, an $8 billion revenue stream, there is a great deal of risk aversion in how much they can deviate from the formula that our customers have clearly indicated they want. Sure, right? sure. Whereas the small indie game made by a half dozen people has a much greater freedom to take risks. And frankly, I find a lot of lovely, wonderful ideas in that space. And there's a bunch of games out there I would sing the praises of for days. So when you're... Uh, I know this is what happens with Larry and I. As we... If we go to read someone else's book, a lot of times it's really, really hard for us to, to turn off like... Edit, critical editor brain. editor brain sure does that happen to you when you're playing like like say an indie game does that happen to you um yes but because my specialty is semantics it would be like if um uh, uh like maybe 
an analogy would be someone whose specialty is dialogue, and they could ignore how a writer they're reading has a crappy plot or crappy scene structure if they have really snappy dialogue. Sure. Right? And so for myself, um, our, my 25-cent word is ludonarrative, right? Which is the idea of, do the game mechanics reflect the feeling of the game I'm playing? And so if I'm playing a game where the mechanics are really well reflective and evocative of the story I'm in, that draws my attention. I can focus on that and ignore everything else. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I do the thing where like I, I'll read a book and my, my brain starts to like, oh, that was really clever. Like, like if it was, I get kicked out of the story because it's like, oh, that was really good. Or I'll get kicked out of the story and it's like, oh, man, you should have did this and this and this. <laughs> and I imagine if you're playing it's like mechanically, it's like, a wonky mechanic or a mechanic that doesn't fit the storyline. You know, it's like, oh, screw this crap. <laughs> I did the profanity and blah, 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 blah. Yes. Yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. so. <laughs> Chuck the controller across the room. Well, maybe yep. not. Man, they're so expensive now. I don't think I can... Oh, man. Oh, no, I, I got an elite controller. I ain't throwing that thing. <laughs> oh, did you get that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I almost bought the PlayStation equivalent, but, you know, I, I got to get a job again first. <laughs> so, uh, uh, mouse and keyboard only, please. Oh, oh you're one of those. Yes, those yes. elitists. Uh, absolutely so. <laughs> my my son's in the room with us. Is our is our, uh, you know, making sure that we're not being stupid with the equipment. And he just he just <laughs> nodded his agreement with Brian. <laughs> so my my son is a PC master race guy as well. Man, I've been shot by a lot of people on mouse and keyboard, so I can't say nothing. Yeah, <laughs> I've lost a lot of people on mouse and keyboard. Uh, that is no excuse. We have so much compensatory code in oh, to make yeah. sure consoles competitive. Oh no, no, I'm competitive. No, don't get me wrong. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a whiner. I know. I, <laughs> my, I have a positive KD. All right. I'm, Fair I'm, enough. I, I have a good KD. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious for you, Brian. What is it that makes really good story design within a game for you? Wow. Uh, depends on the entire the game I'm playing. Okay. Right. Context um, specific. Context yeah. specific. Real context specific. Like, the place where I'm going to... I mean, let's be honest. Uh, Warzone literally doesn't have a story. There's an implied conflict, mm-hmm. right? But it is never spelled out anywhere. And uh, I'm going to get in trouble for this. We don't even have an internal story for it. Like, we have, we, have a, we have a sketch. But that's not the point of it, right? And right. so that's okay. Yep. Um, but if I'm playing a character-focused RPG... That's going to matter and and mean a lot. Um, I, I don't know it's necessarily relevant the question, but I'm just remember there's uh, the most recent um, RPG um, Pathfinder, uh, da, 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 oh. Wrath of the Righteous. Yes, right. Yes. There was one particular moment where there's a character you've been adventuring with for a while, and he's a paladin, and his entire plot line is built around trying to find his brother, and eventually you find a group of dead Hell Knights who are typically not the enemies of his order, but they're they're their rivals. And one of the dead Hell Knights is a female, and she had his brother's shield. <laughs> and then he goes off in this this rant about, oh my God, like how did she get it? Was she was she his best friend, and he gave it to her as a gift and a token of trust and honor? And therefore, this person should have been my sister, who I celebrated. Did she kill him and steal it from him, and th- therefore she'd be my enemy? I have no idea, and I can never know because she's dead. And just it, it was neat because it was a character of this existential crisis over. Anyway, it was just a, just a few lines of text, but it just really stayed with me, and I love stuff like that. Interesting. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation talking about Brian. Uh, as you can see, we're, we're 
we're all pretty excited about this conversation. This is fun stuff. We, we, we all love this sort of stuff. So uh, give us a couple minutes and we'll be right back. A lone boy, orphaned by the Nazis and imprisoned in a concentration camp. A dragon-like being elected to the leadership of the galactic government. What do these two beings have in common? Why would they meet in one of the most war-torn regions of Earth? What will it mean for Earth and for the galaxy? Will this be one of the greatest friendships in galactic history or the death of us all? Blood Brothers Meetings by Stephanie Osborne. A first-in-series spin-off of the Division One series. Available May 1st. Pick up your copy today. And we're back. Uh, okay. First chunk, the show, we were talking about kind of contextual storytelling and, you know, how it differs and how it, like, so radically differs in a video game and how there's so many more different aspects that you have to talk about. So one of the things that, that, that's kind of on, on our whole crew's mind here, Brian, is how does one get involved uh, in this line of business? Um, so today, uh, if anyone, for those who are college age, there's actually pretty decent programs at different schools. Uh, I've personally worked with people from Rice and Full Sail who have excellent skills. That being said, I'm going to caution, there's a lot more college degree in game development programs than there are roles in the industry or necessarily talent teaching those classes. So be very careful what you're signing up for, but it is a path. For myself, um, my bachelor's degree is in computer science. I trained as an engineer. I was doing master's work in artificial intelligence when I was recruited to industry, and I sort of dropped out of school to go do that because that's why I was going to school in the first place. And uh, along the way, I took a minor in creative writing and economics because I was sort of inventing my own uh, education path for what I thought game design would be. In my world, well, um, as a designer, uh, extensive breadth of knowledge is important. I consider it important to study sociology, psychology, history, economics, like all those things come into my daily job, yes, even on Call of Duty. Um, huh. In writing, specifically for this group, um, I have a strong suggestion. There is a freeware piece of program called Inc., by the company Inkle, who's a delightful bunch of fellows, and they make a bunch of visual novel games. They're available like 80, day, or 80 days around the world and whatnot. Um, and their development suite of software called Ink is it's free. It is a markup language, so it's not much more complicated than, say, for example, the markup involved in building a screenplay. And it allows anyone without technical skills to make interactive visual novels. And I would strongly suggest anyone who's interested in the gaming industry as a writer, get that. Build something in that. Try writing scenes that branch. Um, context. The best writer I've ever worked with in the games industry, uh, she's a delightful human being, and like the first week on the job, she asked to be cross-trained as a mission designer because she wanted to understand the tool our mission designers used so she could write missions that fit into the limitations and strengths of the tooling that we have to we have to use to develop missions and present them to the players. And so that allowed her to do really well-crafted stuff where the requirements fit what we could deliver. 
because we can't deliver everything. We can't deliver all possible options when we build missions. Right, because you're working within the limitations of the program. Yeah. It's not like we're writing a book. I can just I can do whatever my imagination says. you got to pay a lot of guys a lot of hours of programming to like be able yeah. to do whatever you want. That's actually really interesting. I never thought of that limitation. Yeah. No. Uh, similarly, something um, uh, if on a bigger end, like if someone has, for example, already a successful authors and they're interested in having an IP be converted to the games industry, there's considerations that need to be thought about. So, for example, uh, it is nothing but a rhetorical flourish for you to add a centaur character to a party in a fantasy game, right? In the game world, oh dear God, because the animation rig of a human is not the animation rig of a centaur. So that, for your rhetorical flourish, that is three man months, I worked out with my animator because this is part of my talk, of work to generate that asset and those animations and those textures and that model for that new character. And then your level design team has to go through and make sure are all the doorways wide enough? Are all those spaces between chairs and tables in the building you're gonna walk through wide enough? for a centaur to get through. How is it going to clip? Oh god, now we have to rework all the armor so that the big old horse butt doesn't like clip through the back half of the armor. Yada and yada and yada. Oh, what if he has puts a twin sword on his back? Well crap, now he just cut himself in half visually. Right? And it's it's a lot of work it for us that is just a flourish for y'all. Yeah. Wow. But, yeah, we don't have Bug. I mean, we have typos in novels, but we don't have bu- game breaking yeah, bugs. We don't have clipping issues. Yeah, <laughs> it's like <laughs> uh, I finished uh, the entire like last half of Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven with my hands, uh, my character's hands being connected to the bottom of the screen the entire time I was doing like the spaghetti fingers, <laughs> and that's how I played the entire last half of the game because of that, and I couldn't get rid of it, and and it's like I'm sure that was just some rhetorical flourish on on some animation that. Never went away. <laughs> uh, I can visualize the the code bug, which would generate that and why it happened. But yeah, 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 yeah. it was very, it was very much. It's like, well, I guess this is just my life now. <laughs> yep. Congratulations, you have spaghetti fingers. It's free cybernetic upgrade. Enjoy. <laughs> Working as intended, Larry. Yeah, it was all part of the, it. Was all part of the game. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. That's interesting. On the because we're. Because the media is it's it's funny because as, as more we talk to different people uh, from different fields of of creative stuff, uh, different artistic fields, it's interesting because each one of us has to work within the limitations of our mm-hmm. of our field. And uh, we talk about movies a lot on the show and TV shows, but they're working on an entirely different thing. And so this is the first time we've had someone working in in your field, uh, and it's just stuff I never thought of. So that's actually really kind of cool. Yeah, that's. I'm glad that's that, that is the point of the talk because you know I'm friends with you and friends with many authors and frankly I wanted to do some of these talks just to help introduce y'all to that world and teach you to think about it because frankly I would love to have some of the writing and creativity I see from yourself from the other Bane authors from the other delightful authors here at Liberty Con come into my world and bring some of that creativity but I need to educate y'all so you come into it with your eyes open right right I mean there's there's a there's a slightly okay history of of some fairly big, well-known authors that have done writing for video games. I mean, I know Orson Scott Card did one a while back. Oh, Dave um, uh, Dave Wolverton. Dave uh, Wolverton has. That was uh, StarCraft. Yeah, Bob Salvatore did 
for the ill-fated uh, kingdoms, kingdoms of Emelor. Let that don't group. don't talk don't cite that one. Orson Scott Card has a unfair <laughs> advantage in that his kid, who's a real nice dude, I worked with him briefly in Seattle, is a in the game industry as a developer. Mm-hmm. So he was able, I'm sure, to teach his dad how to approach yeah. it and think about it. Um, similarly, Terry Pratchett's daughter is a very talented game developer. Oh no way! Yep, interesting. Huh. That's interesting. Most talented family. No kidding. <laughs> Good grief, freaking Terry Pratchett. Having Terry Pratchett as your dad, you'd think he'd like turn out okay. Yeah. I don't know. My daughter's still trying to get a job. No. <laughs> and she's going to listen to this episode. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so there's something there's something that you brought up a little bit ago that that I think I want to talk about for a sec. In in stories in, in in novels, you know, the idea is to is to put our characters and give our characters choices that they have to make. Uh, a lot of times, Larry and I talk about put making our characters, putting them in a situation where they have to make the best bad decision or whatever in their sure. story. But you you said something about you're talking about branching narratives and and there's only certain amounts of choice that you have. I'm I'm really interested in in video game design, the illusion of choice. Uh, it is sometimes illusion of choice and sometimes not. So if it's an illusion, it's usually because of just developmental limitations, i.e. we can only make so many assets right. and any asset we make that the player never sees is wasted money. Right? Mm-hmm. So you're going to try to turn the people through it. So, But even the illusion of choice, there's there's... Is just our artistic integrity for I, I think the best way to say it that we want to make that choice feel as impactful as we can within our development budget. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I'm a slight tangent. This is something that I couldn't fit in my slide that I would love a chance to talk about. Yeah, um, let's do it. The Dungeons and Dragons movie. Okay. Okay. Uh, perfectly entertaining. I enjoyed it. Not the best movie ever. Whatever. But it used one of my absolute favorite tropes from my tabletop games. Okay. Right. Towards the end of the movie, they've beaten their rival, they've rescued the daughter, they've got the resurrection foozle, they have literally all the money, they are on the boat sailing away. By the motivations of those characters, they are completely free and clear. They've won. They are out. No one's chasing them. There's no consequences. And then they turn around and they see, oh, the place we just left is in deep danger and only we can stop it and save it. And so now they have a choice of abandon the safety they've earned and take a risk to do the right thing or just keep going. In a novel, okay, whatever. But when it's a game, when it's a tabletop RPG, because in in that kind of world, that's a real choice. Like like a good GM is going to say, "Okay, yes, you actually can freely get away, and there'll be ramifications later, but I'm not going to make the payoff you earned invalid. Just you're making a choice, only consequences. And so, to me, that was, a, it's like in a movie, it's not as impactful, but in a game, that's huge to make the players choose to go back into danger. And that's the thing that I think we can do in games sometimes hmm. is make you choose to embrace danger to serve a, a better purpose. That's interesting. Yeah, that's cool. 
Uh, Larry and I are, you, you can't see us, obviously, but Larry and I are kind of like staring at each other. Every, every, We're seeing each other's wheels work in our heads. We're like, huh. Well, every now and then a guest throws something else. I was like, huh, i got to process that for a yeah. second. <laughs> well, because like, I'm, I'm Steve's GM usually. Yeah. And uh, if I, I give his characters a choice of like, you know, just go off and have the easy life or go do the right. Steve's, Steve's character's taking the easy life. Oh, yeah. And I know that. So usually I got I to gotta, I gotta, I gotta appeal to the lawful good characters in the group. <laughs> <laughs> what are you suggesting, Larry? <laughs> oh, we all know the characters you play, man. You just can't help it. Even when we do randomly generated characters, Steve still now, if you give me if you wrote. give me the choice of, hey, Steve, you can play it safe or you can go assassinate that cool person over there. Oh, yeah. I'll totally do the assassination route. Opportunity for murder. Okay, that's an interesting <laughs> thing too. So, so okay, uh, and this is this is a, 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 I guess a game design thing. Morality uh, mm-hmm. for for when you're designing your games, and like uh, <laughs> as we talk about, what we joke about about uh, uh, Call of Duty War Crime Simulator. Yeah, you know, and uh, okay, so 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 how do you guys how do you guys tackle that when you're when you're talking about like player choice and you and you're and you're coming at it and because uh, you got to work within the limitations of your market and your yeah. marketing. And uh, I mean, how how does how is that to work with in like limitations and whatnot? Oh golly, um, I need to be real careful here. Uh, at oh, Activision, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't say anything. At Activision, we have teams of lawyers. Enough said. Um, okay, yeah. Speaking personally, my lines are a bit interesting. My lines really come down to choice. So, two classic examples I to think of is uh, Grand Theft Auto Two. Oh yeah. It oh, was okay. enti- it. W- Yes, murder and homicide simulator, yada yada. But I respect the hell of it because it was entirely possible to play a perfectly pacifist bounty hunter, um, only get money by turning in bad guys to the cops, run. You could choose to play a perfectly virtuous run, and thus I forgave everything. Right? Conversely, um, the first GoldenEye game on the Super Nintendo, uh, within the first four minutes of the game, um, you are forced in a cinematic moment to execute a person that you had surprised, captured, bound, and rendered helpless. And that, that no, that is absolutely off limits. I would never have condoned that. Where I force you as a player to passively watch yourself commit that act. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, player choice. It's just like a tabletop sin when you remove the player choice yes. and you force the player to do something. That. That's against their their whatever their code is. You you've like violated the primary rule of being a GM, right? Yes. And uh, it's just interesting to see that extrapolate because there are there have been times and you mentioned Grand Theft Auto. That's a great example. I've played that. And um, what was the one with the murderous hillbilly character? <laughs> you guys know the one? Uh, I think that's five. Okay, so five. So. I could stand playing the murder showbread character, but somebody pointed out, I was like, dude, he's just holding up a mirror to the player base. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I'm going to go blow up this busload of school children because I can get, you know, yeah. I can get an achievement for that. Maybe that was four. <laughs> Might have been four. I can't remember. I think remember. that was four, actually. Oh, anyway. No, four is Nico Bellic. You were the, oh, you were the right. Eastern European. Uh, that was another one where you could be relatively good if you wanted to. And most of us just didn't. Let's be honest. <laughs> but that's but 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 that's okay because like I have no problem allowing players to play out in a safe 
not real fantasy being a scumbag because ha 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 it's just a game who cares yeah like and if you go you go if you go saints row it's comedic effect level yeah, of scumbag really fine my line is that i the, the the lack of choice i force you to engage in a thing but yeah, yeah I, I i'm a big fan of the the metal gear games metal gear solid yeah yeah of course um and i i was playing through five and at a certain point i was just kind of playing through the game you know you know suppressed shooting dudes in the head from here and there and there came a point where i said you know what i think it'd be much more interesting to play this game completely no kill let's see what happens so i restarted uh and well and and i'm not gonna lie i was super motivated by the the trophies in the game because i am that guy psychological manipulation Uh, yes platinum trophies here i come um so so i started over and i started playing the game I was going for a complete pacifist, no kill. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, not true pacifism. I was still knocking people out. But, you know, going through that. And, and for me, the, the game, there, there's a big storied insanity controversy around that game and how they treated Kojima, how he left the company, or how he was left, you know, yeah. voluntold to leave the company. Um, and so the, the whole last act is a, is a story wise, it's a mess in terms of writing and storytelling. But, um, but as soon as, you know, I flipped that switch and I'm playing it that way, I had a much more enjoyable experience. It was a different challenge. It, it changed the way I saw how the story was going. It was very interesting that way. I, I, I don't know when you, when you brought it up the, when you guys brought up the Grand Theft Auto thing, that's what, that's what. Well, there's a few that do a good good job on that, and 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 some that they, there's moments where they struggle. Where where it's we're talking about that the writing, the resource. I'm thinking of Red Dead Redemption. Sure. Uh, moments of just absolute writing brilliance, mm-hmm. and other moments where you get forced into something that I I don't think that this character should do that. Another one I think did a fantastic job was Ghost of Tsushima, oh. which we mentioned. Like like some of the some of the writing on that was like literally as a, as a samurai movie dork, just literally brilliant. And it actually had a fairly decent morality thing too, where you just you could be a vengeful murder god. <laughs> but that's baked into the story, you it know. Was, they they make you feel like they're like, you, you just saw what happened to you. I just like the you can go that route. The cool. weather gets worse the more murderous you become. Yeah, on the island, you know, that's just that was just a great little effect. You well, know? and in, in terms, you know, like what you've been talking about, Brian, some of the more contextual storytelling, just their their screen lack of HUD. Sure. In that game, you know, you, you want to go to your waypoint. Oh yeah, click the button, and the wind that shows up on the screen will tell you the direction to go. No. Like there's so, there's just cool choices like that that I I think you can only do in a video game. You know what I mean? I could see a I could see a book where like a, you know, a, a character meditates on the way, and then the wind spirits sort of nudge in the way. Sure. But but yeah, the the. the Yes, um, my form does permit a lot of very innovative things because we can add sound, we can yeah. add motion on the screen, um, and that is a it is a fun thing. Like, uh, you know, much respect to Dead Space, right? Which put oh. the um, health bar for your character in the lights on the back of your suit. Yeah. Whereas when you look at yourself, you're looking at your health bar. Clever, like like that is uh, uh, I, it, it, it's wonderful. No, and Dead Space is awesome. Dead Space is awesome. I didn't play that one, so I it's really it's super good space horror. Yeah, heard that's good. Oh yeah, and they just they put out a remake just recently of it. So, all right. As much as we'd love to keep talking about this, 
I mean, we, we could all, I, I think the three of us could probably talk about video games for, I've, you know, the I've next go be on the, 20 days. The guest banquet thingy. Yeah, and I, I have to go, go see you and toast you. <laughs> oh, you're on that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. We got to go. <laughs> all right. So, guys, everybody, thank you so much for listening to us. Brian, thank you so much for making the time to come chat with us about this. We really appreciate you having on the show. It's it, Man, it's, it, was, it was awesome chatting with you about this stuff. And, uh, you know, all you listeners out there, if you have any other questions about this sort of stuff, because this is, you know, kind of a whole new topic in a way, please send them our way. Um, we can always call and get Brian back on the phone or, or whatever and, and, and have him chat with us some more and answer some of your questions. So shoot some of that stuff our way and, and we'll, we'll work something out. So again, thank you guys so much. This is the Writer Dojo, and we'll see you on the next one. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Correa. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Nivo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writerdojo by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. Also, I'm a rat. I hide in the corner. That's how I win Warzone.